Well, a number of you, are we good? Yep, a number of you have uh, come up to me uh, in preparation for this week and, and just talked a little bit about your own experiences around surrounding anxiety and fear uh, and what that looks like. Some of you have uh, uh, kind of jokingly said to me that you're looking forward to having that all, all these answers in a 30-minute and a cure. Um, that is not what's going to happen today at all. So I'm not the expert on uh, anxiety, but I am a practitioner of it. Um, I just want to share my story with you this morning and, uh, and talk a little bit about it and, and create some awareness and hopefully inspire us as a church uh, in this area. Let me, let me take you back. Let me take you back to a morning in our, in our household uh, in 2012. April 21, Saturday morning. I'm sure none of you remember what happened on April 21st, 2012. If you go to Google and you type in what happened on this day and you go to that website, like literally nothing happened on that day. I did it. Uh, some actress married some English uh, Mumford and Sons guy. Like that was the highlight. Sorry if you're a Mumford and Sons fan. But. And it was a normal Saturday morning in our household. We had finished eating breakfast. Um, I was at the kitchen sink. I was doing the dishes, which I always do. And uh, I remember uh, Joel was six, Savannah was four, Sylvia and I had been married 13 years. Like, there was nothing new, fresh, unusual. We were both employed. We were living in our previous house over in Sullivan. Uh, I was working at Living Hope Christian Fellowship in Surrey. We were in the process of uh, starting a new campus right in our Sullivan neighborhood, so that was exciting. Uh, Sylvia was working. Like, this wasn't our first rodeo. I'd been pastoring since 1990. Uh, this is 2012. Uh, life, as I knew it, was very normal. And I'm standing at the kitchen sink looking out the window, And all of a sudden, I just said out loud, I can't do this anymore. And Sylvia was, I think, by the fridge or something. She was next to me, and she goes, what? You can't do the dishes anymore? Like, <laughs> that's your job. You know. And I said, no, I can't do this life. And my head just dropped, and I just broke. It was that simple. Mental breakdown, or commonly known as a nervous breakdown, an acute, time-limited mental disorder that manifests primarily as stress-induced depression, check, anxiety, check, or dissociation, didn't know it, but check, in a previously functional individual, that would be me, to the extent that they are no longer able to function on a day-to-day -day basis until the disorder is resolved. I had a mental breakdown. I know I'm not supposed to say that. I knew at the time I wasn't supposed to say anything. You know, you're highly educated, you're a leader in the community, you're a professional, you're a pastor, uh, you counsel other people, you know, keep that. We don't go there. Now, I shared when we first came, almost two years ago, back to Jericho, I shared a lot of my story then, and I shared a lot around my abduction and abuse at age seven and how that, uh, and, and the subsequent 40 years of dissociation of my life with that and how that was really 
at the root of my breakdown. But on that Saturday morning, I didn't know any of that stuff. Uh, that event, that childhood trauma was not even real in my, in, in, in my thinking. Um, and so the only thing I knew that morning, right at that time, was my world was disintegrating. My ability to control and organize and manage my world, my wife's world, and my two kids' world was just poof. I couldn't do it. I could not do it anymore. I, I didn't have control anymore over my world. And that mental breakdown that morning signaled a chain of symptoms. Yes, I had lived with depression my whole life, but now it was getting heightened. Um, it's, it, was, it signaled um, increased fear just in day-to-day -day stuff. Uh, relentless, intense anxiety. I'd never experienced anxiety and panic attacks before that morning. That was a new phase for me, a new level of it all. In fact, one panic attack, uh, maybe my, probably my second or third one, right after that, I spent, uh, like we went to the uh, Peace Arch Emergency Hospital, and the doctors admitted me saying I was having a heart attack. And I spent five days on the cardiac unit. It was the most restful, peaceful five days. Oh, so good. Um, but, <laughs> you know, and they did test after test after test after test. You got to remember, at that time, I was well over 300 pounds. So I, you know, and, and my profession, like I had all the symptoms or like all the, 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 the packaging of someone who, you know, could have a heart attack at that time. And so they were just like, you, you know, we got to, five days later, you know, we sat down and the doctor said, clean bill of health, likely panic attack. Go home, change your diet, start to exercise, and here's some Ativan. Take it whenever you need it. Well, two weeks off of work, one of those in the, in the hospital, uh, turned into two months of medical leave, stress leave. And during that time, the church pretty much just left me alone to rest and recuperate, which I thought was a good thing at the time. Um, but there was also within, I was also hearing an unspoken message at that time from the church. And that unspoken message was this. We don't know what to do for you. Go away. Get help. Get fixed. And then when you're better, come back. And eventually, I did start to feel better. I mean, anybody, take two months off of work and do nothing, you're going to feel better. And I convinced myself, yeah, I had my stuff back together, and I could go back to work. And I convinced the church leadership of that, and I went back to work. And I lasted like a few days, and I crashed hard. I mean, I thought I crashed before at the kitchen sink. No, no, I crashed hard now. In the weeks that followed, Sylvia uh, had the courage to show me tough love. No more just stay home, rest, get your stuff together. Um, she's like, this needs to get, we need to do something. You need to do something. And I didn't want to do anything, right? I'm, I'm, your, I'm your typical guy, right? Like, we don't, we, don't, I'm like, we don't do stuff like that, right? Like, what's there to do? 
No, like just leave me alone and let me rest and go fishing or watch sports. And, and she's like, no, 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 no. In fact, at one point she said, you have to leave the house. And I was like, this is my house. What do you mean? She's like, no, I can't. I, I can't take care of the kids and take care of you. And you're not willing to get help. And I'm like, you're, like, I mean, she wasn't kicking me out, but she was like tough love. And so where do you go? You go home, right? You go to your mom. So I will go to my mom, and my mom, of all people, backs my wife and says, no, you need to do something. You can't keep going like this. So I finally agreed. I relented, and I said, I'll go back to Peace Arch Emergency. And this time, fearfully, I wasn't agreeing to go back and get tested for this heart thing or I was going and admitting something was wrong up here. Something was wrong in my mind. Something was wrong in my emotions. Something was psychologically wrong. And I actually ended up, which I didn't think would happen when I went, but uh, I actually ended up checking myself into the fifth floor southwest corner of Peace Arch Hospital. I'm going to guess none of you have ever been there. That's a psychiatric unit, the Peace Arch Hospital. Other than my immediate family, some church leaders, I don't think anyone else knew I was there. For sure, nobody came to visit me there. Um, and, and while I was there, my anxiety was like, like it was heightened just being there. Like I laid awake every night thinking, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I shouldn't be here. How can I break out of here? I'm all alone. Like those were my reoccurring thoughts. And then that one message, that unspoken message, where's my church? Go away. Get some help. Get fixed. Then come back. All those messages were running around in my head. Before, like earlier in the year when I was in the cardiac unit, and the diagnosis was probable heart attack. Like the church knew, knew that. They understood that. They knew what to do. They, they rallied around Sylvia and the kids. They brought meals, made sure all everything was working at home. They would come every day, visit me. They'd pray with me. God's got this. Don't worry. You know, you might have to change some lifestyle afterwards, but it's okay. Like I felt very cared for. Their message to me was very clear. But now with a mental health issue, my church, my friends, they didn't really know what to do. They didn't know what to say. And part of that was on me because I didn't know what to tell them and I didn't want them to know and I didn't, like, I didn't know what to do. But then there was also that unspoken message. Go somewhere else and get help and then come back. In fact, some in leadership even visited me and said, you know, like, yeah, get some help and, and come back. But when you come back, maybe consider not being a pastor. Like, you're damaged. And you probably shouldn't be in leadership. I had dedicated my life to serving church, in the church. 
I am convinced, I was convinced at the time that the gospel message is a message of healing and restoration for every single person in every single circumstance, in every single corner of the world, no matter what. There's nobody beyond redemption. And yet now, it didn't apply to me in my situation. That's how I felt. I've pastored in four churches prior to coming to Jericho. Every church has had a written statement uh, or, a, or a value of living in community of some type. And every one of those churches was very good at caring and living in community when it came to physical needs and when it came to spiritual needs. But truth be told, I don't think one of the churches, and hey, I was in leadership. One of those churches was prepared, well-prepared, to deal with the mental issues that people face. And so what do we do as church? Or what, what has been our past, my past experience in churches? That's all I can really talk about. But I think there's a lot of, a lot of our North American churches are at this place. What do we do? We compartmentalize and we offload those people. And we've gotten to be very good at that. We say that's not our area of expertise so go over there. Go outside the church and get help and deal with it out there. And please, in the immortal words of Brad, don't hear what I'm not saying. Oh my goodness, people, we need these professionals. Two mental health professionals in particular changed my life forever. So do not hear what I'm not saying. We need professional mental health workers. But... They need us as well. I'm going to introduce you to one of those people in just a few minutes. But first, why get up here and share this story? Why share this part of my story? Simply to highlight this aspect. Simply to highlight this inadequacy and, dare I say, failure of the church, the big church. Whenever we compartmentalize people into body or mind, or spirit. There's a, a disservice and a dis injustice that we are doing for that person. To say, oh, that's a physical need, I know what to do. To say, oh, that's a spiritual need, I know what to say. You have a mental need? Uh, I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Scripture tells us that God created us wholly in his image, body, mind, and spirit. Not body or mind or spirit. Body, mind, and spirit. Those three things are always functioning together as one. Scripture also tells us that in the fall, when Adam and Eve ate from that tree, they were broken. And not just part of them, but body, mind, and spirit broken. All three together. And yet I think that the church generally takes a pass on the mind part and forgets that God is at work redeeming our minds. Interestingly, if you go back and you read Genesis 1 and you read through the, the story of the fall, do you know what is highlighted in the fall? It says, Adam and Eve, they knew they were naked and they felt ashamed. The mind, 
is what's highlighted in the fall. And from that point forward, the Bible lays out God's plan to redeem us, body, mind, and spirit. All three. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We know this verse very well, right? What does it talk about? Dear brothers, sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies. Okay, we get it, the physical, like, to God, because all he has done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifice. Now we're getting into the spiritual end, that will, the kind that will, he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him, right? So we get that, the spiritual. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God do what? Transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. He's redeeming our minds at the same time. He's healing our minds from a broken state. And yet it's painfully obvious to me that by and large we compartmentalize that part off and we offload it to the pros out there. And again, I'm not diminishing the pros in any way, shape, or form. Not at all. They do amazing work. But they also need us as the church to provide full healing for people. That's part of our role as church. Whenever you're dealing with, with depression or fear, anxiety, uh, be it acute, like a one-off, or be it chronic, over the long haul, three facets of your being are always in play. Your body, your mind, and your spirit. Those three facets always are work together, working together. They're always linked together. When one part is hurting, those other are affected. Always. And if you compartmentalize any of those three and say, I'm just going to focus on the physical. Friends, I did that. I would just focus on the physical. And then I would just focus on the spiritual. I told people I focused on the mental a little bit, but really didn't do a whole lot. Like, when we do that, you will not experience the healing, the fullness of the healing that God has for you because he's interested in healing you body, mind, and spirit. And as God's people, as the church, we're called to attend to all three of those things in ourselves and in each other. At Jericho Ridge, like most churches, we're pretty good at the physical and the spiritual. But what do you do when you can't bring healing in the form of a lasagna? Not even Mike's lasagna. (sighs) I mean, Mike's lasagna has healed many a day. But what about when it doesn't cut it? And what do you do when not even, you know, Katie's prayers seem to reach through the ceiling? Then what? When I tried to go back to work a couple, uh, for that couple of weeks uh, in the summer of 2012, after I'd convinced myself and others that I was good enough to go back. I had my stuff all back together. I vividly remember, I still see it like as clear today, the picture, the, 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 my friend's face, my friend Bob, close friend of mine, another pastor at, uh, still at Living Hope. Um, I remember the look on his face. It was one of complete, crap, you are not well, Wally. Like he didn't say it, but he didn't need to. It was like, you are not well, and I don't have a clue what to do for you. 
And my interpretation of that was, hey, we're the church and we got nothing for you, buddy. So go. Go find some help somewhere and then come back. Then come back and lead us. And as one of God's people, as one of the church, I never, ever wanted to experience that again. I never wanted to experience again a sense that the church was inadequate, that it was ill-equipped. And I never wanted to project that or uh, push that on somebody else as well. No one should find the church ill-equipped to attend to a person's brokenness, be it physical, be it the spiritual, or the mental. And it starts with some very simple things, like teaching. It's one of the reasons why we're doing this Fear Not. And if you guys, if you weren't here last Sunday, I really encourage you, go online, go to our website, uh, go on our app, and listen to Brad's message last week. Just the, the teaching on the root of fear um, is some of the best stuff I've heard in a long time. So please go back and listen. This is kind of like part two of this, like the practical and that, that teaching stuff is solid. It starts with simple things like teaching and truth, getting truth out there. It starts with things like awareness and, and, and creating a safe space for us to be community, which is why we're doing what we're doing in the Fear Not series and why we're including stuff like anxiety and mental health. I said earlier that two professionals, two mental health professionals in particular changed my life. One of them's here today. Uh, I first met Michelle on the fifth floor, I said, of Peace Arch Hospital. Uh, if you've never been, um, I'm going to invite her up in a minute, but if you've never been, how many of you have been on a psychiatric ward? Oh, I'm surprised. You who have been know the doors are locked, right? The doors are locked to keep the patients in which is actually a good thing. It's a healthy thing, right? You don't want them bolting and leaving because and, most of them th were th would be thinking like me, like, I don't belong here. I need to get out of here. But when I was in the psych unit, it felt to me like the doors were locked to keep people out. It felt to me like the doors were locked and my people couldn't get in. Church wasn't available to me, I felt cut off from family, from friends, because they're such an integral part of my life for so long. Michelle is, an, is, a, is a follower of Jesus. She's an occupational therapist. And I was blessed and privileged to work with her on the fifth floor and then privately later on. Uh, and I'm, I'm privileged to call her a friend still today. When the church wasn't able to care for me, God still knew that he had a strategic disciple placed in a place that I would never have thought to go or would have wanted to go. And yet he had someone there that he was going to use to change my life. Scripture says where two or three are gathered, right? We know that verse, where two or three are gathered, that's where I am. Even behind the locked doors on a psych unit. That's where God can be. After working with Michelle and also doing, let me just wrap up my story and then I'm going to invite her up. After working with Michelle, uh, I also did some group therapy. I, I eventually met another uh, trauma counselor, very gifted lady in Tawasin, 
who helped me uh, immensely and brought me to a place of grace and healing. And then God chose to place me back in ministry. Not necessarily something I was looking for. Um, but in that, I've always tried to be open with the reality of what I experienced. And to be open with the fact that um, the effects of what I experienced continue in my life. They persist. So I'm still on antidepressants. Um, I still am prone to fear-based living. Um, I haven't had an, a panic attack in three years. I'm thankful for that. But anxiety lurks just below the surface. Like it's there waiting and I have to, I have to attend to that. I have to do things in my life to maintain that health. And at the same time, I recognize and I associate with Paul's words more and more. Yeah, God's grace is sufficient for me. It's not just a platitude. It's not just, you know, this catchy Christian saying. I look back, and I'm relatively new in this part of my journey. 2012 is only six years ago. The first year and a half of those six years were critical for me. I was in critical state. The next year and a half, I think I was in a fairly stable state. Uh, still not back in ministry. Um, and then, um, well, I was kind of. Um, and, and the last three years, it's only been about three years that I would say has been like healthy, uh, a, a healthier state. And still that one thing that persists, that one thing that just eh, eats at me, is that unspoken message from the church. We don't know what to do for you. Go away, get some help, come back. Friends, that doesn't cut it. That just doesn't cut it. In my books, in the book, I think, the Bible, it doesn't cut it. We can do better than that. We're called to do better than that. 1 Corinthians 12 and, and chapter 13 man, go home and read that stuff. Talks about what we're called to be. I firmly believe that the church is God's chosen, appointed entity, not only to proclaim, as we heard Steve talking about, getting the word, the actual word out there, to proclaim that there is healing and redemption through Jesus Christ, but to actually enact the message that there is healing and redemption in Jesus Christ. So to compartmentalize life and place certain aspects of life outside our uh, comfort zones or outside our realm of places to affect, to offload that, I think, uh, is, is not being faithful to what the Scriptures call us to. Here's what Jericho Ridge says about doing life together on mission as God's church. And when I highlight these statements, those of you who are members, you've all seen this, you've all signed this document, and we've signed it with you as a covenant. Um, but I want you to think, when I read these statements, what does this mean for me as a part of Jericho when it comes to physical, spiritual, and mental? So our membership covenant. As church leaders, we covenant with the help of the Holy Spirit. I'll just read number four. Simple. We commit to helping you in times of need, physically, spiritually, and mentally. 
As a member of Jericho Ridge, I covenant, when I, and I signed this document as a member, with the help of the Holy Spirit to do the following. Number 11, I'll strive to support the local body of Christ at Jericho Ridge through, through uh, general giving of my financial resources. We do that. We tithe. We give. Regular prayer. Got that one. Hospitality. Okay. And willingness to show compassion and meet expressed needs physically, spiritually, mentally. Our core values, we have them up there. Authentic community, if you, if you read the, the little blurbs that underneath uh, them in our, in our more detailed uh, pieces, it says we give permission for each other not, uh, let me wait, not to pretend. We give permission not to pretend. When one part is impacted, the entire body feels the ripple effect. This means that we as Jericho will choose to share life with each other so we can edify and support each other as well. Physically, spiritually, and mentally. And can I say that it puts an onus on you as an individual as well? I can't help you if I don't know. And part of why my church couldn't help me is because I didn't let them know. That's part of it. And I know that our leadership refuses to fall into the temptation to compartmentalize compartmentalize any one of those three areas. We will not offload you for a physical need, a mental need, or a spiritual need before we've done everything we can do for you. And then we'll begin to bring in help beyond what we're able to do. I've talked enough about me. Let me call up Michelle. Come on up, Michelle. Michelle Ferguson is a good friend of mine. Uh, she is the person I met on the fifth floor in this little dinky office with no windows and no way out. <laughs> um, Michelle, this is Jericho. These are a tremendously caring and committed, proactive group of people. I love them. I love being with them. I love doing life with them. Um, and many of them have told me that they experience anxiety, fear, uh, depression, uh, some of them uh, chronically debil and, and even debilitatingly, if that's a word. We make up our own words here. Brad and I have. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about how we as church can be better at caring for ourselves and for each other when it comes to mental health. Well, I just... Uh, yep, yeah, you're on. Am I on? Can you hear me? Yep, okay. there you go. Um, I think one thing I want to open up with is that, let's say we were, Wally and I were talking about how 50, 60 years ago, there was doctors who were smoking cigarettes, right? There was not a lot of awareness as to how to take care of ourselves physically in terms of diet and exercise. And we are just now really looking at what do we need to do to take care of our emotional health. And there's a lot of messages out there that unfortunately are wrong. Like the best thing you can do is distract, numb, medicate, medicate, different ways. And being strong for a lot of people is wearing the mask. And it doesn't matter how bad you feel on the inside, as long as you can keep the mask and keep that appearance out, they believe that's coping. That's being strong. 
And so what I see, number one, in my opinion, why I see people on the inpatient psychiatric unit is because people haven't learned how to cope with their uncomfortable feelings. Mm -hmm. They've had various messages as to how they're supposed to cope, but they haven't learned skills to cope. And I don't care what social economic, like what your education is, this is common right across the board. So um, that's one thing I really wanted to open up with is we're just starting to learn about really how do, what do we need for our emotional health? What are some things that we need to do? And what are some things that we shouldn't do? And unfortunately, too right. many of us are doing the things we shouldn't be doing. Right, and I, I mentioned Medicaid, and by that, you guys heard that I'm, I, I am on medication. So I don't mean Medicaid in that sense. I mean, uh, we are uh, extremely complex individuals. We will always find a way to self-medicate um, when we reach the end, when we, when our coping, when our masks don't hold up, we'll figure something else out. And it'll be food, it'll be TV, it'll be alcohol, it'll be something. Yes. In that sense. But yes. one, of the, one of the very first things that you did for me, because I wasn't coping, obviously, hence why I met you where I met you. Um, but one of the very first things you did for me is you simply... Uh, and I didn't really get it at the time, but you simply validated what I was experiencing and you connected it with who I was. Talk a little bit about validation. I could probably spend an hour talking on that. <laughs> um, but I just want to maybe say this much. Our emotions are a core part of who we are. And when we feel that someone doesn't care about our feelings, we immediately default to, they don't care about me in my entirety, right? So that's one thing I just wanted to get across is, you know, there's people, they have feelings, and if they, and this is the one reason why I think people don't share what's going on with them because they're concerned that if they share, they're gonna be invalidated. They're gonna be rejected, they're gonna be dismissed, or they're gonna be, well, ignored and judged. Mm -hmm. Judge is huge. Like if I share how I'm feeling, that's going to happen, and guess what? That only causes another emotional wound. So I think a lot of people stay in isolation, not share those things, because they're scared they're going to get hurt some more. Mm -hmm. And I they think, already have enough on their plate. And I think for a lot of guys as well, there's mm -hmm. the aspect of control. If I share, I'm going to lose control. Um, and well, I'm going to look weak. I'm going to look weak. I'm, I'm, you know, and, the, and, and we, we set ourselves up to these places that nobody else expects us to be, and we think, if I share this, like my whole world is going to fall apart, right? Yeah. And when you began to say to me, hey, Wally, you're not crazy, even though you're on the psych ward. Um, it's understandable. It makes sense why yeah. you're on the psych ward based upon your background, how you cope with things. It made perfect sense. Yeah. And that was so helpful for me to go, oh, really? Like, I thought... I don't know what I thought, but just to hear somebody say, no, this is normal. Like, you legitimately should be here. That was like all the world. The other thing that I wrestled with, um, and I think a lot of us as Christians wrestle with, where does God fit into this? Like, here I am, I'm a pastor, I've counseled people and all this stuff, and, and w there's almost a, a disconnect, and it's like, oh, I don't know that... God exists in this part, like, or, like, how do we, how do we, what do we do with God when there's mental health or emotional health issues? 
Well, this is the difference I see between physical and, and mental, emotional, and you kind of outlined it too. You know, if you, are, if you have a heart attack, well, you go see the doctor. But if you're dealing with emotional wounds, they really don't say, you know, <laughs> go see a psychologist. It's not really welcomed. Mm -hmm. It's not really, it's seen like, okay, you should be able to fix this on your own. Yeah. Right? So, um, there's so, so hold that thought. Yeah. And come back to it. Okay. Let's do a straw poll. How many, and be honest, how many of you have had a physical need and asked a friend or a family member for help? How many of you have had a spiritual need and asked somebody for help? Gone to a professional like a pastor? How many of you have had an emotional need and gone, and you don't need to raise your hand if you don't want to, but even the fact that I'm giving you the out not to tells us something. How many of you gone to a, a professional when you've had an emotional need? Far fewer. Okay, so where were we so where in does, all this? I think a, I think a big a, part a lot, of that is yeah. because we think that God should just, like, zap and heal me, or, you know, like, all I have to do is go home and just pray harder, or give it to God and He'll deal with it, or, you know, like... A lot of people see, um, I'm going to go into this, they categorize feelings. There's good feelings and bad feelings. And I often see people think there's three types of feelings, categories, mad, sad, and glad. And there's kind of this pressure, I should be happy all the time. If I'm a Christian, I should be happy. So God didn't give me the mad and the sad. The mad he and sad gave... is bad. Right. That's evil. So if I feel that way, the best thing I can do is disconnect from those feelings or, you know, push them aside or get over it and just be happy because that's what God wants me to be. But if you think of it, Jesus wasn't just happy all the time. He was angry. He wept. He was in distress. He experienced a full range of emotions. And we are supposed to experience a full range of emotions. It can be very appropriate. So what I say a lot of people do, they think the feelings are the problem, so what they need to do is disconnect. Find a way to disconnect from those feelings. And what happens? So it's like this. If you have a physical wound on your toe, it's important to connect to that pain, isn't it? And then look and assess it and go, okay, how bad is this? What do I need to do? Validate it. Okay, it hurts. How bad is it? Okay, now I need to take the next step. And what I see a lot of people do, they have a feeling, and they think, okay, I just have to disconnect from it. Mm -hmm. And then it gets worse. So if, feel, if emotions aren't good or bad, um, which is helpful because then I don't have to worry about that, that incongruency. If I have bad emotions and God created me with all my emotions, then he, how did, why would... God's not bad, like, so there's a disconnect, so I don't have, to, yeah. they're not good or bad, you talk about them as signals. Yeah. Explain that a little bit. I just want to add, often when people experience these bad emotions, then they feel guilt and shame for experiencing them. Yeah. I shouldn't feel this way. And I just want to say this much too, it's okay to feel all emotions, it depends on what you do with it. So a lot of people think anger is bad because they've seen how it's expressed, versus anger is a healthy emotion, depends on what you do with it. So people just automatically put anger in the bad category. I'll get to your question in a moment. Um, so bottom line is, I see a lot of people on the unit, they haven't been connecting what was, with what's been going on to them at all. They, and I guess I sometimes use it as a, well, people think of Homer Simpson when I bring up this analogy, but let's say you worked at a nuclear power plant and <laughs> there's a flashing red light. Would you see that flashing red light a problem and so you should just lift up the panel and disconnect so flashing red light stops? 
And that's what I, people, I see a lot of what people do is when they're experiencing uncomfortable emotions, they're getting that flash, they think, okay, I need to disconnect from that. And we do it through Netflix. We do it <laughs> through um, food. food. Focusing more on others and ourselves. I see a lot of people who are always wanting to focus on others because their mess is too much to deal with. Um, workaholics, et cetera, they just keep busy as a means to not feel the emotions, disconnect from the emotions, and that just sets them up. Um, so it's really important to be able to connect to what's going on with yourself emotionally, not just physically, but also emotionally. So super helpful for me yeah. and, and guys, uh, if the nuclear reactor doesn't help you, <laughs> I, use the, I use the signal of a traffic light. So when I'm driving down the road, there's a traffic light at an intersection. And it's not good or bad, it just is. And sometimes it's red and sometimes it's green. Now if I'm in a hurry, I think green is good, red is bad. But if I'm in a hurry and I go through that red light and get T-boned, well then it wasn't maybe so good or so bad. Like, so it, the signal is just a signal. It's there to alert us. God gives us emotions as signals that something is going on in our life. Take a minute and figure it out. We're pretty good at, wow, that was so good. I love that. Right? We're good at that. Canucks score an overtime goal. Yeah! We're good at that. But when the signal is maybe yellow or red, we want to ignore it. And if you end up ignoring it like I kept doing, then at some point you get T-boned from the side and you have the possibility of being taken out. So what can we do in just a minute or two? What can I do when I see a, a signal flashing on my dashboard? And what can I do when I see a signal flashing on somebody else's dashboard? Because remember, it's about community as well. You know what? I think I only really have time to answer that last one Okay. decently. Um, I think the one thing is not to come as if you know the answers and not put the pressure on yourself that you have to have the answers. It's really about, I care. I see you're going through a rough time. You know, is there any way I can support you? Basically, versus thinking that you have to give some advice. And often that's why I see people do, is they think, okay, you know, I see someone hurting. If I don't have a piece of advice or an answer or something to give them, then we walk away, we feel really awkward. Does that make sense? So um, it's really approaching it as a servant, having that servant attitude. How can I be here for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, and we'll wrap up with this. I think personally the other thing that was really helpful that Michelle taught me is that uh, when we see that, uh, that uh, signal on our dashboard, we will do one of two things. We're either going to sabotage, like we're going to disconnect the wires in the bottom so it stops signaling. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the reactor is uh, overheating in the back down, background. Um, or we can soothe, and uh, we, which means we, uh, 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 it's hard to go into a lot, but each one of us has ways and, and means by which we can begin to dial down the emotions. For some of us, it's going for a walk. For some of us, it's uh, being out by the water like the ocean. For some of us, it's, uh, uh, you know, a song. It could be listening to music, um, but there are things that we can do to soothe. Just like a child, you know, when you're a kid, you know, those of your parents, your kids need soothing. I'm sorry, but 50-year-old men, we need soothing. 60-year-old women, you need soothing. Uh, everybody in between, that's part of how we're created 
And so you need to figure out what are the things that soothe me. And if you have nothing in your life, you need to get something. Like figure it out. Because that's where you can go when it, and it starts to dial down and take the nuclear reactor from critical to that's a helpful thing to do. So, If I can just quickly add to that, often when I ask a person, what have you done for fun lately? I get a deer in the headlights look. They haven't. And um, we need to have some downtime, soothe time, because we need to activate our parasympathetic nervous system. If our sympathetic nervous system is just going full bore, there's cortisol hormones going up, it's taxing on our bodies. So this is one reason why I can get men some time to like, okay, I need to decompress. I need to do this for myself because you need to stop taxing your body to such a degree where it's going to not just you know, affect your physical health, your mental health, mm -hmm. the whole, whole thing. You need to that time. Yeah. It's healthy. And the more aware you are of it in yourself, the more you're going to be able to start to pick it up in each other. And friends, that's part of being authentic community. Going up to somebody and saying, hey, it seems to me like there's a signal going off on your dashboard. You're not yourself lately. Is there anything I can do? You want to have coffee? You want me to take your kids? Like, whatever it might be. So Michelle's going to be available. We're going to, I'm going to invite Caitlin and the team. They're going to come up. We're going to close with a song. Um, and I know that parents, you guys are going to need to go get kids and stuff. Um, but, and there's going to be people. Our prayer team's going to be in the back if you want to pray with somebody. But if you want to come and talk to Michelle and I, um, She's going to stick around for a bit after the service and, and maybe we'll just we'll find a, a place. Just look for where we are. Probably up here. And, uh, and you can come if you have questions um, or anything of a more personal nature. So, so let's stand together. Um, and we're going to close with a song. And uh, let's pray.